fellas, welcome to Azura's Diary, where we unpack life's experiences to laugh and learn. I'm your lovely, gracious host, Ed Batiz, and it is currently a rather early Monday night. Early Monday night, can I say that? Does that make sense? And here we are after another week. Now, of course, obviously, as can be seen by the time, I did not make an episode Sunday. Of course, big goof on my part, especially since, you know, the fact that I completely missed the entire week of uploading previously because my recording software decided to, you know, completely shit its pants uh, when I decided to have a guest on the show. But I have an entirely reasonable reason. Nice. Uh, for this conundrum, and you guys will just have to see later on, but I digress, here we are, I'm not gonna skip a whole nother week, cause I wasn't able to get here Sunday, but, um, man, let me tell you something, I didn't have water at all today, I just, I showed up to school, uh, it was in the morning, and I woke up, and I got all my stuff ready, and I, I had to shower in the morning, because I didn't shower the night before, got all my stuff ready, got my lunch in the bag, I'm just kidding, my lunch is already in the lunchbox, thank you mom, uh, <laughs> and I look around, and I don't see my water bottle anywhere, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to tank the rest of the day without water, and then as the day goes on, well, you see, without water, um, you get a little lightheaded, uh, I almost passed out like three times, but here at Azumar's Diary, the grind never stops. So we made it throughout the day, and then during rehearsals, we're putting pedal to the metal on all the rehearsals now for the musical, since the musical comes up in, like, mm, a week? Yep, next week, next weekend. I show up to rehearsal, and one of my castmates walks up to me and is like, hey, Ed, is this yours? And then shows me my water bottle, and I'm like, oh my god, that's awesome. I've been waiting to have water all day. And then I grabbed it, and it's empty. Now, I don't know when I left it. I guess I left it over the weekend. That's a goof on my part. But anyways, here we are. Now, I have to start this entry the way we start every single entry with some awesome news. The segment where I provide you wonderful listeners with some awesome news that we definitely care about and that we will definitely have the time to unpack. Guys, awesome news. As some of you may have noticed... Obviously, um, Brexit, Britain's deal to leave the EU, has made a reappearance in the headlines lately. But that's because the United Kingdom and the European Union have signed an agreement to solve one of the thorniest challenges created by Brexit, a resolution for the trading status of Northern Ireland. Now, I don't know if some of y'all know this, but the British Isles, Britain, is not just one country. There is the United Kingdom, then there is Scotland, north of it, and then its neighboring little island, Ireland, is also independent. But the segment north, the northern segment of Ireland, also known as uh, Northern Ireland, has been, uh, had, a, had a bit of an odd position in the geopolitical landscape there because Northern Ireland is a part of the EU but with Brexit and Britain leaving the EU that means that there was the possibility of a hard border a a a complete separation of the two states coming up between England and Northern Ireland now of course as the article says there has been a resolution made now What's going to happen is they are now revising the trade status or the trade rules of Northern Ireland. So, 
goods that are produced elsewhere in the UK, like in England, Wales, or Scotland, would have to be inspected by officials before they entered Northern Ireland. And they are now setting up red and green lanes for goods arriving in Northern Ireland from other parts of the UK. So, like, it's a green lane for British products that are staying in Northern Ireland, and then it's red lanes for goods and products that are going to be sold to the Republic of Ireland, which means that they will be entering the EU since Northern Ireland is still a part of the EU, despite Brexit giving Britain an exit from the EU. Fucking bars right there, man. Now, of course... Can this definitely be uh, digested better and can this be unpacked in a much more professional and geopolitically analyzing way? Does that even make sense at all? Um, I mean, yeah, probably, but we don't have time to do that because we have to move on to our next segment, Pop Talk. Now, I have to think, what do I have personally going that I've seen regarding Pop Talk? Um... New episode of The Last of Us came out yesterday. Pretty neat. Was it worth the one-week wait? Um, it was all right. You know, obviously, there's going to be a bit some embroiled... Uh, obviously, people are going to be embroiling themselves in the internet for obvious reasons about that episode, but I won't say them here. Um, it's getting somewhere. You know, I'm really excited to see where the show will go from here on out. And despite ending on two massive cliffhangers back to back, you know what? I think it's all right. I think we'll be. I think we'll get some really great episodes uh, in the coming weeks. Um, anyways, more on the p- news side of pop talk. Blake Shelton, also known as the God's Country singer, or you know, one of the biggest country stars in United States history. Obviously, that is a controversial statement. Has announced that he is leaving the Voice. After his 23rd season. And of course he was thinking about leaving it. During the COVID era. But he decided that he didn't want to walk away from the show. And leave everyone in a bind. Because he. And I'm quoting him on this. The show changed his life. Now of course he had found his wife. Gwef Stefani. On The Voice. So obviously it had a giant impact uh, on his life. And on the life of many others. Of course after 23 seasons. You'd imagine that something would be so ingrained in your life. That you would barely imagine leaving it but now Blake Shelton is announcing that after the 23rd season he will be walking away it did have an immense impact on his life but all great things must come to an end Uh, of course other judges like Kelly Clarkson will still be on the show in fact Blake Shelton does say that Kelly Clarkson uh, is on TV enough so the fact that she is on the voice might be a little too much but the voice will be getting new hosts or is welcoming in new hosts hosts such as uh horn and chance the rapper which i'm sure some of you way may know some of you will know so of course with blake shelton and kelly clarkson uh and chance there will be still be a veteran presence in the voice next to chance the rapper and horn in other news tv wise amazon prime is releasing a new black urban horror series called Swarm, which is being co-created by Donald Glover and uh, is being executively produced by Janine Nabbers with uh, Molly Obama as one of the writers. Now, this show 
takes place around a girl named Dre, who is a proud Swarm member, which is the nickname for a fan base of a great pop star uh, called Nija. Nija? I think it's Nija. I think so. Now, of course, she is sharing this infatuation with this artist, with her sister, Marissa. Um, and, of course, they use that their love of Nija. I think it's Nija. Nah, I'm stupid. Everyone's going to be mad at me. It's Nija. It's not Nija. Oh my god. You know what? I'm blaming it on my Mexicanness. I was expecting the accent to be on somewhere else. Nija. Thank you. I'm so sorry. Please tell me that you stop didn't stop listening before I corrected myself. Their infatuation of Nija to bond, but with the death of her sister, well, things do take a turn. In fact, a rather murderous turn with her going on a cross-country trip to see the audience. Uh we're going to see a a almost say an American psycho type break in this character centered around her infatuation infatuation and idolization of Nija. Yep, damn straight. That's how you pronounce it. Now, of course, is this an obvious riff on Beyonce's fan base? Court, you know, called the uh pronounced uh beehive b-e-y-h-i-v-e the beehive and you know they're the fan base centered around her i mean yeah like it's not it's not really a a beat around the bush type scenario and of course people are uh, beyonce beehive members are already feeling called out by the scenes in the movie but being co-created by an an intellectual such as Donald Glover, of course, they're going to kind of pluck at the strings that are really personal to fans of great artists like that and people who idolize bigger members of pop culture. So yeah, it comes out on March 17th, uh, 23 on Amazon Prime. So uh, I might be checking that out. I'm not sure. Does Amazon Prime release their episodes all at once or do they do it at in like intervals? I think they do it in intervals, right? They do it in intervals? Okay. Anyways, moving on. Guys, I'm sure you are all wondering, the hit blockbuster movie, Cocaine Bear, released on February 24th of this year, has been making waves in the box office, grossing a total of $2 million at the box office. Now, of course, this cinematic masterpiece has been based on a true story, and sadly, the true story is not about a black bear who gets absolutely puffed out on cocaine and then goes on an absolute killing spree in the Georgia forest. Now, the actual story was that a drug smuggling mission piloted by a convicted drug smuggler, Andrew Thornton, went horribly awry when Thornton realized that the copious amounts of cocaine he was carrying was too heavy a load. So, while headed to the dropping point, uh, him and his accomplice tossed a load of 40 plastic containers of cocaine out of the plane. Now, of course, while he attempted to parachute leave and leave the plane with the cocaine, he got copious amounts of cocaine with him as well. And as such, it caused an error in his parachute escape because he was carrying too much cocaine and then he fucking died. So... He was found tangled in his parachute in the driveway of one Fred Meyer in Knoxville, Tennessee, with a bulletproof vest, several weapons, and a duffel bag full of cocaine. Now, obviously, it was too much for him to handle. Now, where does the story of the cocaine bear come into this? Well, the tossed 40 plastic containers of cocaine obviously scattered about 
uh, around the, the, the natural landscapes of the United States. Now, near the area where the parish, where the body of one Andrew Thornton had been found, officials also found that an 175-pound black bear had been found dead after overdosing on cocaine. Now, obviously, this was a remarkable moment in nature as we saw the refined goods of humanity meeting the natural raw power of nature. And of course, our refined goods got the W. Uh, Now, what happened to the body of this overdosed bear? Uh, Well, it was stuffed and sold to a local nature exhibit, but then it changed hands several times until it ended up in Kentucky at the Kentucky Fun Mall with a little plaque called which says Cocaine Bear and describes or sorry, Cocaine Bear, a.k.a. Pablo Escobar uh, and describes the story of the Cocaine Bear. And there are various presents at his feet, which include flowers, fake lines of cocaine, a knitted block of cocaine and various pieces of change. Now, does this kind of attest to the fact that we like to make everything a spectacle? Even a a bear that has overdosed on copious amounts of cocaine? Well, I think this is a great example of that. And honestly, it warms my heart to know that no matter how ridiculous, no matter how stupid uh, something, an event can be, we will still find a way to make it monetable, monetable, monetizationable. Because obviously, who would not want to go to the Kentucky Fun Mall to go see Pablo Escobar? I don't know how we ended up from in Kentucky, from Tennessee, but you know what? Fellas got to grind. Anyways, that is all I have for Pop Talk. Now, obviously, there's probably a bunch of other news, but, you know, we don't really have to go, go into it. Also, like, it, this is, it is odd. I have segments censored all about news and information, and yet I pride myself on being disconnected from literally all of it. Now, why did I decide to do that to myself, and why did I decide to have segments dedicated to something that I'm not involved in or don't want to be involved in? I don't know, but you know what? I just kind of like all garner the the episodes, or sorry, garner the news last minute, and then I just kind of figure it out from there, but... We have moved on from Pop Talk, and now we can talk life a little bit. Fellas, oh my god, what a week it has been. Now, uh, I did not mention this before, but my school had a Shakespeare competition. Now, does that sound incredibly dorky? Obviously, was it incredibly dorky? Uh, Yes, but what the Shakespeare competition was, was that it was hosted by the English Speaking Union, which is a global organization centered around English speaking? I don't know. And... And it can be held at the high school level where high schools around a region or a branch or within a branch of the English speaking union will have a competition and then they will send their best competitors to the uh, center of the other, a higher level, the college level competitions where then those regional, uh, everybody from that branch will then compete. And then one person, one person, I don't know, that's how that's how my branch did it. One person will then be sent to the national competition all the way in New York. And then if you win there, then you go to London. Isn't that wonderful? Well, uh, my school held a Shakespeare competition, but my school was mostly my theater. Like, literally, it was only people in theater that competed, including me. And 
I wasn't really sure if I was going to compete or not. It was, you know, it was just an extra little fun thing to do. If I go to the college, then, you know, win-win. But if I don't, then it's whatever. It's Shakespeare. Shakespeare has always been a source of a migraine for me. In my freshman year English class, I remember reading A Midsummer Night's Dream and either having a terrible migraine or being on the verge of passing out and taking a nap. Now, I would think that, oh, because she would play the, the audio version of the book uh, for us to read along to in class, you know, the whole put put your finger on it, follow along. And I thought, well, okay, it's playing audioly. Audioly? Wow, that was horrible. It's It's playing out loud. I feel like I can take a nap and then still digest the information um, because, you know, when you, you close your eyes, not your ears, so then it would work out. But uh, it turns out that is not how that worked because I would close my eyes and then I'd open them. And then we were like three chapters down and I guess the unstoppable flow of time decided to melt together like a weird soup. Uh, and I just completely, I would phase in and out of like REM 3 in the middle of that classroom trying to listen to the audiobook. So uh, I did not get anywhere. And you know, obviously Shakespeare is, now some people don't think is real. I think he's real because nobody else has done what Shakespeare has done and nobody else has attributed to the human experience as much as Shakespeare. So the fact that he's the only one in our history to do so, I mean, what are the chances? The, obviously, I mean, I feel like the chance that one guy is this eloquent and this awesome and has had such a great impact on our language, the fact that, you know, one guy did that is an entirely reasonable chance. How many people have li lived on this earth? How many people have been, like, that live now are like, oh, nobody else in the history. He's one in a million, one in a generation, whatever. Shakespeare was just, you know, one in ten generations. But controversial opinion. I think is real. But Shakespeare, to me, it's obviously, it's not old English. Old English is, like, is, like, incomprehensible Scottish. Like, when you hear in, in Brave, when the one dude starts talking, and it's like, I'm not even going to try and make an impression, because that's going to be racist. But it's modern English, but it's just the phrases and the words and the spelling is different. So, obviously, people are going to have a hard time, you know, comprehending it. But reading it versus seeing it read or seeing it performed is entirely different. Because you can not even understand what a sentence is trying to say, and then the person who understands what it's trying to say says it out loud, then you can actually attain it and grasp and get a grasp of what's being said. And obviously, Shakespeare made some really, really good plays and really, really good productions. Obviously, some were controversial or some were considered problem plays, but when you see them performed out loud, then you get a better understanding of it rather than you trying to read off a page, you know, what Shakespeare is trying to say. Now, we got... For the competition, the high school competition level, we got a, a packet, a the ESU packet, the English Speaking Union packet of the available monologues for this year's competition. And searching through them, it, obviously, I could not kind of skim through the monologues and immediately understand what was going on. I have only read like two. I don't think I've even read Romeo and Juliet fully. I have read Midsummer Night's Dream and Macbeth. Which I can say because I'm not in a theater. I'll talk more about that later. Um, but so my my Shakespeare knowledge was limited, uh, as well as my my Shakespeare comprehension, because I would scroll through all the monologues and I would have to vividly dissect, vividly dissect, as they would say, I would have to actively use like eighty percent of my brain to try and decipher what the hell was going on in the monologue, but. I stumbled across one monologue 
in Henry VI, Part Three, Act Five, Scene Six, which all of these plays, Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fifth, Henry the Sixth, all take place centered around the long line of kings, uh, which ruled England prior to Shakespeare's time, and takes place around the Roar of the Roses and all that stuff, like the War of the, the Right the Red, what is it, the White Rose House and the Red Rose House? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know these plays, even though I did a monologue from it. But I stumbled upon this monologue by a character named Richard the Third. Now. I had like scantly heard of Richard the Third. In fact, I when I say scantly heard, that that is entirely a lie. I had never heard of Richard the Third prior to reading these monologues, and apparently, this guy was kind of a big deal. Apparently, he was one of the biggest villains in English or European history. Eh, European, that's kind of broad. There's there's a lot of candidates for villains in Europe, European history. I don't even have to go into that list. But I'm talking like in, in the medieval times, in the Elizabethan times, this guy was pretty bad. Because even with his brother on the throne, he still plotted and tortured and murdered and schemed his way towards the throne to do... Something to just have power. I don't know. But what fast I've never heard about this guy before. But the monologue that I had found, and that this is how I stumbled across him for the very first time, was he was murdering the guy that the play was named after. He was murdering Henry the Sixth in the monologue. And then in throughout the monologue, basically saying, Fine, you'll call me a villain, I'll be the villain. And that was the dopest shit I had ever ever read and plus it was easy to understand now uh, obviously that's going to lead to problems for me in the future but i'll get into that later but so i picked the monologue and i was and then i researched heavily no not heavily i researched mediately mediumly uh about the play and about richard iii and about what was uh, what was going on with this guy this dude was a hunchback he wasn't actually a hunchback he just had scoliosis in real life but uh, in Shakespeare's play, he was so evil that, you know, it manifested itself on the outside, and he was a hunchback. Um, fun fact, Richard III, because he's an actual guy, uh, was found, they finally found his remains. Uh, yeah, no, they found his remains buried underneath a parking lot. A, a sorry, a car park. Is that what they call parking lots in, in Britain? Oh, God. Uh, a car park in Leicester? Leicester? Leicester. Leicester. I don't know. Some some place in, in England. But this guy was so evil that they just kind of dumped his body somewhere after he was murdered after some, some big battle. I should probably research more about this guy if this dude took me to New York. But you know what? It's fine. Um, what was I saying? Richard III. Fascinating villain. Because obviously he's a hunchback in, in various in Shakespeare's plays. But he's fascinating because... He is a villain that was made by society. He, 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 one of his lines, I'll prove to be a villain, I'll paint me a villain, I'll prove to be a villain, whatever, is, sums up his entire character because the entire play, all of the, of course, over the course of a lot of the plays from Henry the Sixth, you know, part one to part three, uh, he is berated and he is called evil and he is called, you know, uh, hellspawn and whatever and whatever. And, he has been constantly poked and prodded and pushed against and been called a villain and called evil and disgusting and whatever, whatever. So at the end of Henry VI, he just says, fine, you'll call me a villain, I'll be a villain. And then 
He murders Henry VI and then starts plotting his way towards the English throne, even though his brother is still sitting on it. He says, I have no brother and I'm like no brother. Brother. I'm like no brother. I'm like no brother. Now, listen, should this cause concern amongst some people uh, that I love to be the bad guy and that I love to be the sinister man and I love to be the, the bad, the dude, the evil boy and that I love to be bad? Um, I don't think so because it's all acting, but it's just fascinating to be a villain that is just trying to prove everyone right. He said, you know what? You're going to see me as the villain. I'll be the bad guy. Um, and man, he is a villain that I enjoy playing. So I took that monologue to the high school competition, uh, and I got, I, I, I passed me and another person, uh, performing, uh, were picked out of out of eight students to go to U of A, and I then had to just take my monologue and then make it even better. Now, I think when I was performing that monologue, even at the high school level, I experienced something that I never experienced beforehand, and it was like, I can only describe it as a runner's high, but it was an acting high. I was so in the moment, and I was so into the character you know, even though he just stabbed a man, that was, I don't even want to talk about, I, I'll get into that later, but I was so into the character, and I was enjoying the performance so much that I felt like that rush, I felt that ecstasy, because I knew that, man, I am in it to win it, um, and I never felt that before, and it was really odd, because I could even remember it after, but after the performance, I had to snap myself out of it, first off, I had to give myself a hunch, uh, and twist my back a little bit. So even with my bad posture, that also didn't help. So I had to make sure to snap out of that real quick. Um, but also, I have to revel in killing and stabbing a man. Now, of course, that is easy for everyone to do. Uh, people just have varying levels of strength in their intrusive thoughts. So it's like, do you let the intrusive thoughts win and just really like try to revel in stabbing someone? Or do you keep them more suppressed? Uh, you know, it wasn't hard for me to... to act like I'm reveling and stabbing someone I can probably imagine how that feels I played uh on v and my VR on the VR headset the oculus I played blade and sorcery which is like a one of like a revolutionary VR game with like melee combat like swords and shields and stuff and I've stabbed plenty of people and let me tell you my brain thinks I'm stabbing real people so I definitely know what it feels like and uh to have it feel good yeah, you can probably redirect those emotions, but it is a headspace that you do not want to stay in. It is a headspace that you have to snap yourself out of. In fact, after the performance, I had to like, I was still feeling the lingering effects of what I had just done. And so I had to like slap myself out of it. It was strange and it was odd, but it was also fascinating because I'd never gone into a character so much up until that point. But anyways, uh, we... Me and another person get sent to... Did I just say the college? Yeah, okay. I just probably said the college, the university I was going to. Get sent to the college uh, of the of our branch, the, the, the city's branch of the ESU. And it turns out, this year, there were not many contestants. Because there were only 13, including us. So that means there were 11 other competitors that we had to worry about. Um, now, of course, it was only one person going to New York, so it was either me or the other person competing. Um, but I mean, if they had gone to New York, I wouldn't. I obviously wouldn't have been, you know, disappointed about it or mad about it. It's like, oh my God, someone else from my school went. Like, no, we finally won another Shakespeare contest after like twenty something years. I'm not gonna complain about it. But thirteen other people. So the chances, although there's still like what eight percent, something like that. 
the chances are still way higher than they usually are because there's usually like 20 something people performing but i guess everyone the schools in our branch didn't send a lot of people day of the competition shows up they said dress to impress now uh, previously, the the festival, the theater festival that was taking place, the competition, college level competitions there, uh, where they decide who gets sent to nationals and whatever, required all black. And I had to the night before competing at like nine thirty at night. Me and my mom and a friend had to go to the mall to get all black clothing. So obviously, we made sure to double triple check uh, if I had to wear all black. But according to what my mom read, according to my theater director. Uh, it just said dress to impress. So I show up to the college and everybody is dressed in all black. Even the person that I was going with. So I was dressed in like a white button up with a bunch of red striations over it. Not enough to be distracting, but it was like a red crisscross kind of grid. Half white, half, half, half red, half white, half red. Um, it, it looked like I was covered in blood. It was pretty cool. I think it was a, cre- a great creative choice on my part, but you know, it's whatever. But, um, Everyone's dressed in all black, so I did get a bit anxious, but I double-checked, and I asked some of the people working there, and they're like, no, you can wear whatever, um, but my uh, my friend who was competing uh, did offer me her big puffer jacket, her all-black big puffer jacket that I could have worn. Now, I do I think that would have hampered my performance? I'm not really sure, but I don't think it would have helped either, but... We were good. We did not have to wear all black. We, we were fine. Although I did stick out because I was the only one not wearing a black top. I mean, there was one guy with like a blue button up, but he didn't have a black jacket over it. He was ready to ready to go. But um, it's time for the competition, college level competition. One person goes to New York, second and third place, get tickets to go see a Midsummer Night's Dream, that dreadful play that I always fell asleep trying to listen to. And so I am like, eighth in the line so they have two they have us sitting in rows uh in in order of where we're going so like the first one person will go and then they'll play this they'll stop and then sit back down and then they'll play this like whimsical music as the judges kind of at the top of the uh little theater that they were performing in were uh convening convening conveying i don't know what the word is uh and talking amongst themselves and then the whimsical music was would stop and then that was the cue for the next person to come so i waited i was like eight out of 13 and then my friend was the last one so usually in competitions like that i don't really focus on the other people's performance because then i psych myself out and i get myself anxious um but i was kind of forced to because we were sitting in rows this is a little theater uh this is a little proscenium theater and they would just stand up walk to the front of the of the room and then perform and then sit back down stand up walk to the front perform sit back down so it was kind of hard to just you know not focus on that because we were legally obligated to uh except at one point i was like hey can i go to the bathroom um and like after somebody performed and then i was like i'll be back right before some the next person performs and i guess that uh made me seem unique enough that one of the ladies there was like i like that kid um and then i don't know i guess i stuck out uh, in her head and because i decided i needed to go to the bathroom but hey the, by the time i came back there was someone else performing but i didn't walk and sit back down while they were performing. I waited backstage uh, because that is how I've been taught. Uh, because that is how you do. That is how you do manners. I don't know. But man, they were, they were good. They were really good. Like it was uh, sometimes. I, 
performances in I've seen other competitors do this, and I think to myself, oh, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna be better than that. It the, it comes out flat, and it comes out you you're not using as many levels as you could be, or you're not being as dramatic as you could be, or you're not using as much, you're not conveying enough emotion through your voice as you could be. But like. There were some good... I'm just saying, I talked to the competitors after. I'm like, if we all did a Shakespeare show, that shit would be awesome. It would make headlines because everyone there understood the assignment. Everyone there had thoroughly read through their text and everyone there understood the emotion, the emotions, the emotions that were being conveyed through the text. And they definitely performed it. Now, uh, also, if there had been... So uh, people start performing... um, I was starting to think I was like really not liking my chances at all uh, because I was like, what makes me different from the other people? You know, what makes me different from the from the other people for performing? What makes me better than the other people performing? Um, and my head was kind of harkening back to the fact that I had to memorize a sonnet in case there was a tie. If there was a tie, then the two people who tied would then perform a sonnet and that would be the tiebreaker. Um, now, of course... I didn't really memorize a sonnet until like last minute. So this competition was Saturday and we had rodeo break. So Thursday, Friday, we have off. And Wednesday, my theater director comes up to me and is like, hey, have you memorized your sonnet? Let me hear it. And I went, no, I have not. So uh, I had to memorize a sonnet in 20, 48 hours. So that was cool. Um, but people start performing and I start second guessing myself. And then it's my turn. And then I show up there. And I do the same thing that I did before, and I give in to the bloodlust, and I give in to the sinisterness, and I give in to the evilness. I do my evil laugh that I had practiced way many, many times prior. I add things where, like, I stab him, and then I take the blade out. Obviously, this is all pantomimed. There's no actual blade. There's no actual body. I kind of just have to pretend. And I, like, touch the blood on my face and look at it, and then I'm like, indeed, it's true that enemy told me, whatever. And I give in. And then, as soon as I'm done performing... I realized that I remembered literally nothing of what I just did. I don't know if it was because of nerves. I don't know if it was because of, like, it was just the fact that I was giving in too hard. I sat down, and I remembered nothing of what I just did. Um, But the thing that stuck out to me the most was that I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel ecstasy about it at all. So I was thinking, oh, no, it probably sucked. So then they start performing, and then they start going on one by one. Uh, and eventually my friend performs last, absolutely kills it. It's, it's probably way different when you're like seeing somebody perform versus actually performing, but whatever, everyone did incredibly well. And then the time for the judging commences, the insane judging. Now these judges were like, they knew their stuff. One of them was the uh, associate director of the theater and theater and film and TV and movement and whatever. Uh, one, another one was had, it was a doctor in Shakespeare and in English, uh, was absolutely ancient though. He was, he looked, was a great dude. Another one was an award-winning, uh, actress, uh, and also an expert in Shakespeare. I think she had a doctorate as well, but these judges knew what they were doing. Like they they knew, uh, they had been around the block a couple of times and the, the time for judging commences and, Eventually, they come back out, and they start announcing, right, third place, this person, second place, this person. Now, the person who was in second uh, was doing a monologue about how, uh, was doing a monologue, uh, Queen Margaret, uh, who in, so it's the Henry the Sixth, part three, 
and then it's Richard the Third, which is like a sequel to that, except Richard is the main character and he's the villain. Um, and it was a monologue where Queen Margaret, who was a, who was a queen at that time, was trying to rally the other powerful women of Europe uh, against Richard and was talking about how horribly vile this man is and how they need to send him back to hell and how he's the devil and he murdered this son and murdered this son and murdered this son. And the entire time, I was sitting there with like a maniacal smile on my face because it made me feel even better about <laughs> about being the villain. Because, God, I listen, no matter how much you want to be the good guy, let me tell you, it feels good being a villain that's feared. Uh, that's, uh, that's an odd statement. Listen, that's, don't psychoanalyze me just from that. But, anyways, the girl who came in second, my theater director came up to me and was like, She's she's the only one. I think she's the only one that that uh, that you have a you know that she she's your competition, and I kind of didn't believe that because everyone else did incredibly well. But I guess the judges thought the same thing because she was in second, and then I somehow got first, and so then I got a expenses mostly all expenses paid trip to New York to compete nationally and to represent my branch at the national Shakespeare competition for a chance to go to London for a summer to do some dramatic acting camp or uh, in second place, it's a, it's an American camp. And then in third place is a thousand dollars. Honestly, I'll take the thousand dollars. I'm not complaining about that, but yeah, I got a cocktail party and everything. And, you know, after the, uh, after the, 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 you know, awards have been given out and everything, uh, I had gone up to with the professors in their office uh, and they kind of talked to me about why, uh, I, you know, won and they were giving me my feedback. Most of it was compliments. And they looked at me and they said, they had asked me, you know, what, why did you choose this monologue? And obviously a part of me wanted to say the truth and, and be like, well, it was one of the easiest to understand, but the other part of me spoke the other truth and that was it feels good to be bad it it feels great to be the villain sometimes um but they after the after the feedback was given uh one of the pieces of feedback was i didn't see a young man performing a monologue i saw richard and does that kind of concern me that they saw the uh, one of the most evil rulers in english history evil and vile and sinister rulers in English history in this 15 year old boy performing a monologue, uh, hundreds of years after it was written. Um, I mean a little bit, but I mean, shit, it does feel good to be bad. Uh, so yeah, that was, there was, there was, it was, we were a little busy Saturday and Sunday, uh, afterwards, but yeah, no, I had called my mom and I told her, guess who's going to New York? And she screamed so loud. She blew my eardrum out and she, I think she broke my speaker on my iPhone. So that was absolutely wonderful. Um, but anyways, I have made my entry into Azumar's Diary. I'm your lovely, gracious host, Ed Batiz, uh, and catch us next week when, once again, I can make no promises. Good night, fellas. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, Ask a Teen, the segment where you lovely listeners send us your questions, uh, no matter how ridiculous or how serious, and we will give you our take on them. Um... Question from Eugene. Do you think you are peaking in high school? You know, I really hope not. Uh, I think I'm doing really well currently. I, I'm confident. I am, uh, you know, I feel like my, my injuries and my knees are going to catch up to me in like 20 years and then I'm going to be absolutely crippled uh, and be immobile. 
uh, in my 30s. But you know what? I think we're, we're still going good. I'm going to be honest. I completely forgot I had to do Ask a Teen. I will provide a more detailed answer in the future. Okay, if you have any other questions for Ask a Teen, make sure, make sure to email us your questions at zoomersdiary at gmail.com. I am so tired. <laughs>